to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Lead Gen podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the Managing Director of Bright Vision as well as host of this podcast. Today we're having the pleasure to talk to Nancy Herhat, who have been on the podcast once before. And we had an awesome interview that time when we talked about how to make your content impossible to ignore. And today, Nancy will talk to me and you about her recently published book, Using Behavioral Science in Marketing. And we're so stoked to have you back, Nancy. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Jacob. I'm I'm stoked to be back. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, the pleasure is on my side. And you have been busy since last time, which was around two years ago when we talked about marketing uh, content and things like that. And uh, for those who might have missed the first interview, maybe you can just briefly give us a background on what you're up to and what do you do usually uh, with when I, when you don't write books. <laughs> <laughs> that is most of the time, actually, that I'm not writing books. But uh, yeah, so um, I am the uh, the chief creative officer at HBT Marketing, and HBT stands for Human Behavior Triggers. And what we do is we combine behavioral science with marketing best practices in order to uh, increase engagement response for our clients campaign. So at this point, you might be saying, well, what exactly is behavioral science? I mean, science sounds a little like, uh, oh, I don't know, that that sounds heavy. But um, <laughs> behavioral science is very simply the study of how people behave. And more specifically, it's the study of why people do what they do. And behavioral scientists have spent a lot of time and energy studying this. And what they found is that, that people, all of us, men, women, young, old, rich, poor, B2B environment, B2C environment, all of us rely on decision-making shortcuts. What's happened is in order to conserve mental energy, we've developed these hardwired uh, decision defaults, these automatic behaviors, and we kind of cruise along through life on autopilot. And when we encounter a certain situation, we just default to these hardwired behaviors, giving them little, if any, thought. And so the great thing for marketers is if we can use this to our advantage, we can make it more likely that people will engage with and respond to our content. So uh, so that's what I spend most of my time doing, you know, working with my uh, clients and helping them achieve the results that they're looking for by using behavioral science and marketing best practices. Awesome. And that you do so well. So you even have so much uh, principles and ideas and background this. So you needed to write a book about it. And that's how it came about, I suppose. Or what's the story behind starting writing a book? So, okay, so I'll, I'll tell you the story and I'll give you the, I'll give you the version I don't always tell. <laughs> but um, the, the real reason, the short reason I'm writing the book is... Um, Kogan Page, which is based in London, saw that I was speaking at South by Southwest and they reached out to me and they said, would you like to submit a proposal? And, um, you know, a lot of times when I would be speaking at conferences, people would say, oh, I want to read your book. And I'm like, read my book. I don't have a book. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't written a book. Come on. You know, and but enough people had asked that I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then when the publisher came to me and said, would you like to write a book? I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I submitted the proposal and and they accepted it. So that's the backstory that I don't usually mention. You know, what I usually say. <laughs> 
say when you know people say, "Oh, why did you write a book?" I'll say, "Well, you know, I'm passionate about the uh, the addition of behavioral science and marketing. I see how well it works. I use it for my clients. My clients love it. They want more of it. I speak about it at conferences." People will sometimes come up to me at a conference and say, I heard you speak three years ago. I took a bunch of notes. I went back to the office. I tried what you suggested and it worked. So, you know, I can only have so many clients. I can only speak at so many conferences. So the reason I wrote the book, in addition to being asked, is that it's a way to take something I'm passionate about, something I believe in and something that I know works and get it out there to all the other marketers, all the other people who even aren't marketers, but have marketing on their list of things to do. And it just makes it easy for more people to be able to tap into these proven techniques and, uh, you know, improve their marketing campaigns in a, in a way that doesn't take a lot of time or a lot of effort or a lot of research on, on their part. So interesting and uh, <laughs> very humble, humble beginning then, but uh uh it's it's always good when somebody you know external push you to to write the book because i i i'm sure you have had it in you for a long time then so well uh, uh honestly i i never really thought i'd write one until a you know a few years ago when i thought maybe but then uh when, when kogan page said i think you should do it uh that you know mm. that kind of lit the fire under me and then um <laughs> i was mentioning to you in our little uh, pre-talk they wanted a chapter a week so they really had me on a tight leash you know like follow that schedule so uh but it got done and that was a good thing yeah awesome and this is a very interesting topic i mean marketing and uh, and, and doing marketing in different kinds is of course something we do in order to to uh, persuade people to buy from us or to 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 recognize our brands or whatever sub <laughs> goal we're looking for marketing uh, is supporting sales in order to drive revenue typically at least so it's it's something we want to do well and we invest a lot of money in it and and you have studied those behavioral science principles in order to see how they apply to marketing in order to do it more efficiently and more effective and more friendly and so forth. So what's your take uh, in the book when you start elaborating on this topic? Um, what are the key principles that you think are valid for, for a marketeer today when it comes to behavioral science? Oh, that's, a, that's a good question. So behavioral scientists have identified hundreds, literally hundreds of these automatic responses that people have. And um, from my perspective, you know, many of them are applicable to marketing, but you know, but probably not all of them or, uh, or you'd have to really be, you know, you'd have to find a very specific, very niche application, we'd say, Oh, that one works. But uh, in my book, I've set I've 17 chapters. And in the 17 chapters, I cover about 25 of these behavioral science principles, these triggers to automatic mm -hmm. behavior that I think are particularly useful for marketers. And uh, what we want to do in marketing is we want to look for ways in our strategies and in our executions where we could apply the behavioral science. And uh, what I recommend to clients is first, you want to think about why someone won't want to do what it is you want them to do. You know, maybe uh, maybe you want them to you know purchase your product, or maybe you want them to uh, watch a. a uh, attend a webinar that you're putting on, or, uh, you know, maybe you just want them to offer up some data early in the in the funnel where you could then begin to better target them. But, you know, we need to think about why somebody won't want to do what we're asking them to do, and then think about the best ways we can um, come up with to overcome that objection. And a lot of times as we're looking for those ways to overcome the objection, we can start to look at these behavioral science principles and say, oh, that one could apply or that one could apply. So, um, you know, like as, as a quick example, 
you know, sometimes we want people to buy our product and we're met with the, nah, no, I'm all set. Don't need it. No need for it. I'm, I'm good. All set. And uh, so people don't really think they need your product. And a way to get them to change their mind is to use a behavioral science principle called availability bias. And what behavioral scientists have found is people will judge the likelihood of an event happening based on how easily they can recall an example. So if you're someone who doesn't fly and you're asked how safe is it to fly, all the examples you would think about would be the news reports you hear about plane crashes and, and casualties and, you know, uh, engine parts falling off the plane and you would think it's, it's not very safe to fly. So bringing this back to marketing, uh, people would judge the likelihood of an event happening. And in our case, the event is someone's need for the product or service we're selling. So what we want to do is before we ask them to buy, we want to use some availability bias. We want to get them to think of a time in the past when if they had our product or service, it would have really come in handy. Or we want to get them to imagine a time in the future when having our product could be really helpful. And I have a, a, a colleague, her name is, is Amy Hunt. And she works for um, a company that provides cybersecurity. And she came up with a really great line uh, that she used that I think uses availability bias. She said, uh, you know, keep your CEO off the evening news. And what she was doing with that line is, at least here in the US, there have been a lot of uh, instances of data breaches and, you know, CEOs being, you know, called on the carpet saying, you know, this is a problem, you know, look what happened. And, you know, they've been in the, you know, what we would call the hot seat. They've been in a, in a difficult position. And uh, so instead of, you know, talking about, oh, why you need our product and why our product might be better than your current solution, you know, she went right for the hard bit and said, look, keep your CEO you know, off the evening news and the target market could identify with that. They could think of all the recent newspaper reports, television stories they've seen about that. And they're like, yeah, uh, I can imagine using this product and it being very helpful to me. So, um, so it, it's doing things like that. It's thinking about why someone won't want to, uh, you know, act on our message and then figuring out the best way to get them to, to decide that they should. And, and very often it's triggering those kind of automatic and sometimes emotional, even in B2B, sometimes emotional responses. That's so uh, interesting story there. Yeah, that availability. That's, uh, that's a really good behavioral science uh, trigger that you found there. And, and there were 20 three more of them in the book or, or 24 of them. So that's uh, that's a lot to cover. So which would you think are the top five that's are the most easy to use or to the most important to know about as a as a practicing marketeer in, in, in a company today? Uh, sure. So there's uh, you're asking me to choose my favorite children. <laughs> what am I? Uh, that's a that's a tough one. But um, but uh, let's see. How about, I'll give you I'll give you an example for a um, a B two B tech client, and I'll talk to you about uh, the three things that we tested. So there were three yeah. of my favorite ones, and then Perfect. I'll tell you which one actually did the best. Does that does that sound like a good way to? That I know it's only three. Way. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so uh, we were working with a client that um, uh, sold business intelligence software. So their particular business and sell it business intelligence software was you know great because what it would do is it would bubble up the data that was in disparate silos so you've got you know data on all these different silos and this particular product would give you a, a full 360 view so you could see everything and you know the the advantage of course was uh without it you wouldn't have access to all of your data and you know, given that you had a, you know, an executive position, you were being asked to make decisions, essentially you would have to make decisions without 
the full data. You know, you wouldn't be fully informed, but yet you would have to make decisions. So like, all right, so how do we bring this to market? And, and so we tested three things. So uh, one of the behavioral science principles we tested was the idea of the reason why. And what behavioral scientists have found is people are more likely to do what you ask them to do if you give them a reason why. And a lot of times in marketing, we think, well, it's pretty self-evident. We told you about the product. We told you what it does. We told you the price. Like, you know, what more do we have to say? But just explaining that reason why, you know, we really think that this would be helpful to you because uh, could be very, very um, effective. So we uh, we did one execution where we, you know, we just talked about the fact that this would be a helpful product for you because right now you don't have full access to all your data and with it, you will. And then another principle we tested was the idea of loss aversion. And what behavioral scientists have found is people are actually twice as motivated to avoid the pain of loss as they are to achieve the pleasure of gain. And of course, in marketing, what do we do, right? We always double down on the gains. We talk about the benefits, the advantages, all the great things that will happen if you do what I'm asking you to do, if you buy my product, if you sign up for my service, and we're all about the benefits. And I'm not saying that we should walk away from benefits. Benefits are good, but behavioral scientists have found that people are actually twice as motivated to avoid pain as they are to achieve gain. So sometimes what that means is introducing a little bit of loss aversion, you know, talking about the pain you may be in if you don't buy my product or talking about the pain you could avoid if, if you do. So our second approach for this business intelligent product was to use loss aversion. And, um, you know, we talked about the fact that if you make the wrong call, if you make a decision and it turns out to be the wrong one because you didn't have all of the data, this can actually hurt you. It can hurt uh, your company. You could end up losing money. So that was kind of the loss aversion. And then the third and final one we tested was simply the idea of emotion. And particularly in B2B, we, we often downplay it or, or ignore it altogether, but emotion is really critical. People actually make decisions for emotional reasons, and then they later justify those decisions with rational reasons. So what that suggests to us as marketers, whether we're, uh, you know, selling um, beer or business intelligence uh, uh, solutions, we should have both rational and emotional elements to our advertising. So this led us down the path of um, focusing on the emotion. So we knew that our target market was feeling stressed. They were probably aware that they were trying to make decisions when they, they couldn't get their hands on all the data. Uh, and they knew that it, you know, it, it was a weighty decision, that it wasn't just their job on the line. It might affect the, you know, the jobs of their employees. It might affect the reputation of their company. They could maybe get into, you know, legal problems, you know, based on, on the wrong call. And so our um, headlines on our campaign led with that emotion. We, you know, we talked about the delete button for that voice in your head, because if you're making a decision and you know you didn't have all the data, you're constantly thinking, oh my gosh, did I make the right decision? Maybe I should have done something else, you know. Um, uh, uh, we had uh, we had another line that was um, the um, the antacid for a diet of tough decisions, because we know that you know you could be almost tied up in knots, you know, with with these decisions that you have to make. And so we we took all of these to market. We tested them, and while they all did well, the one that did the absolute best was that last one with the emotion. Now, to be fair, you know. All of the executions talked about the product and, and what it did. You kind of had to do that, you know, but it was the way in, you know, whether we went in with a very, you know, straightforward problem solution, here's the reason why, or whether we went in with more of a, you know, you're going to lose out in these ways if you don't have this, or whether we went in with a very emotional, we get how you're feeling, we're, you know, we're in your head, we know what your day-to-day -day is like, and um, it was that last one that that did the best. It actually delivered a 
13% increase in purchase intent, which, you know, the client was very, very pleased with, and, and so were we. So, um, mm. So that's kind of how you can use these. And, and those were actually three of my favorite ones, the idea of emotion, the idea of loss aversion, and the idea of providing the reason why. They're all easy for a marketer to use, and they can be quite effective. Wow, that's so interesting. And um, really good example. And thank you for laying out that foundation behind those examples. Um, you, you said that you measured buyer's intent. Can you just talk to us a little bit how you how you... Uh, evaluate and and measure which of these campaigns were the most important ones or or effective ones. Yes, yeah, so we actually hired a, a separate firm that was in charge of testing, and mm -hmm. um, so I, I I don't have the specifics on how they did that, but uh, but they took each you know each of the concepts in, they took it to testing and and um, exposed people to the different concepts. They did it in a randomized way so that people mm. saw them in different orders, and then they measured. Um, you know, a number of different things, you know, whether or not people understood it, whether they were drawn to it, whether they uh, in intended to buy, uh, whether they were interested in the product, did it increase brand favorability? Uh, and I don't know the, the specific um, techniques that they used to do that because it was a separate firm, uh, which was kind of nice for us because it was an independent firm. We didn't have our, you know, uh, our thumb on the scale, if you will, you know, we, we weren't swaying things one way or another, um, but it was an independent firm and, uh, and that, was the, uh, that was the result that they returned to, to the client and to us. And so, of course, we were quite pleased with that. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you. So uh, that's so cool to hear. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. I was thinking when you talked about uh, the second one there, that uh, you know, uh, reducing or avoiding pain is is the double motivation than actually gaining a benefit. That's so interesting. So, uh, as an agency, I should rather communicate not we can help you crush your goals, but rather we can help you <laughs> not getting fired. You know, by not. <laughs> basically yeah yeah maybe. well you know it is funny you're absolutely right jacob it's funny and you know when i came up on the on the writing side uh you know i, I started my career as a, as a copywriter and you know there have been definitely times when clients have said to me it, can you make that more positive i mean yes it's the right point but it sounds kind of negative can you make it more positive and you know the truth is sometimes that that negative framing that negative spin is mm. is what does best i have a a colleague his name is uh, alan rosenspan and he tested two different lines he tested iso certification will your company pass and then he tested ISO certification, will your company fail? And his client, of course, was providing, you know, uh, help in ISO certification. So, of course, the benefit would be that you would pass, like that's what you wanted. But when he tested the two head to head, will you fail is what did the best. It's what got the most response. And again, it's because, you know, people don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to make missteps. You know, they don't want to get into trouble. They don't want to lose out on things. And Again, I'm not saying that marketers should be all negative, but a little bit of that well-placed loss aversion, mm -hmm. it's its definitely worth testing because we're finding uh, that it works and uh, it, and we've been finding that it works for quite some time, actually. There's, a, there's an entire chapter in the book about loss aversion. It's very <laughs> powerful. 
Wow, so cool. Well, I need to try that uh, more often. And this brings us into another interesting question. Um, as, as a managing director or marketeer, um, marketing manager, I would love to see those principles applied in our content and our campaigns and so forth. But who, uh, you know, and we can always buy your book and, and distribute to our teams, but you know, how do you apply these principles? How, how do we make it happen in a marketing team environment? Uh, is it the copywriters or is it the, you know, who, who should take responsibility for making those principles being used and applied? So I, I think it's, um... It's probably a combination of the account people and the creative people. Uh, the account people, because a lot of times the account people are, are figuring out what the strategy should be. And then the creative people, even once they're handed the strategy, uh, have a number of different ways to interpret it. And so it's up to them to insert the right behavioral science principles. And, you know, it could be the matter of, you know, choosing one word over another word. I, I read about a study where uh, they were running a, um, a a, you know, a special, and they advertised it as a promotion or a giveaway. That was the only difference, you know, everything else was the same. It was just that one word difference. And uh, giveaway got them a 50% increase in response versus the word promotion. Uh, so a lot of times it's, it's up to the to the creative team, the copywriter or the art director. You know, speaking of art direction, um, there are studies that show that if you're going to use before and after shots, you want to have them be as close together as possible because the closer they are together, the stronger the relationship people perceive there to be, and then the more likely they are to believe your product. So instead of having, you know, the before shot at the top and the, you know, after at the bottom or one on the left and way, one way over on the right, you want them as, as close as possible. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's these easy to follow, but nuanced things that can actually make a big difference you know one word over another the kind of image you choose uh, again speaking about images people are drawn to faces particularly uh, eyes so if you're going to use people in your ads or, or in your on your landing page you know having you know someone look out at you you know make that eye contact that pulls people in if you're not going to make eye contact you can have um, the eyes looking towards either the the form you want people to fill out or towards your offer or towards your headline because humans are hardwired to uh, follow the eye gaze of other people so they'll either look you in the eye or if you're looking up to the right you know uh, you, you want to, you know, they'll, they'll look up to the right. So you want to have something important there that they're that they're pointing to. So mm -hmm. it's, I think it's the it's the writers, it's the art directors, and it's also the you know the account directors or the strategists who are really responsible for finding the right places to inject behavioral science into a, a marketing campaign, into the into the strategy and the execution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Do you see a future as? you know, behavioral scientists working in marketing, do we, do we have any educations around this today? Or do you see a new discipline growing in the coming years? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, over the last year or so, I've become aware of more uh, behavioral scientists getting into companies and getting into companies at high levels. So, uh, you know, in the C-suite even, there are some companies that are talking about, you know, chief behavioral science officers. Uh, one, of mm -hmm. the, um, one of the people who was kind enough to endorse my book is a, a gentleman named uh, Jeff Chrysler, and he's the head of behavioral science at J.P. Morgan Chase. So, uh, you know, we're definitely seeing it, uh, you know, I'm seeing it particularly in financial companies, healthcare companies, where, um, you know, influencing people's behavior is really important because, you know, you're, we're, we're, you know, 
companies are trying to get people to do the right thing, whether it's take better care of themselves health wise or, uh, you know, maybe save money for education or save money for retirement, which is a big thing here in the US. Um, so I'm seeing that uh, particularly in financial services and in uh, insurance and in healthcare, uh, more and more behavioral science is uh, is coming to the table and, you know, companies are putting somebody in, in charge, you know, having a head of behavioral science, having a chief behavioral science officer. And I, I think we're going to even see more of that as, as we continue on. I think the the blending, honestly, of data science and behavioral science is going to be more and more prominent. The data science will tell you, you know, uh, who to target and where to find them and when mm -hmm. to talk to them. But the behavioral science will tell you how to best serve up the message, you know, the, the words to use, the pictures to use, you know, whether you should inject some loss aversion or maybe, you know, maybe you should be using some social proof the idea that uh, people aren't um, when people aren't sure of what to do they look around they see what other people are doing and they follow their lead so sometimes a social proof message might be the right message sometimes a loss aversion message might be the right message so I think it's we're going to start to see more and more of that close working relationship between data scientists and behavioral scientists when it comes to marketing awesome so interesting to see the the intersection there between those two. I know you had an example of Spotify, which has a Swedish connection since it started here in Stockholm 15 years ago. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit about what their take is on behavioral science and how to apply that to their marketing? Yeah, so I, you know, it's funny, I was, um, I'm writing the book, and I was in the chapter about emotion, and how emotion is important, you know, as I said, you know, people, people have to have the emotional reasons and the rational reasons in order to make decisions. And I was making the point that it's not just for consumer brands, because that's a little bit easier for a marketer to understand. It's like, oh, sure, I get it, you know, the emotion when I'm buying my car, or when I'm buying my new dress or whatever. But when you're, when you're talking about B2B products, um, you know, really, really, Nancy, is there emotion that you need? And, and my point was, yes, there is. And I, I went back to a campaign that I had seen early in my career. It was for the Wall Street Journal, a business publication. And what they would do is they would feature uh, prominent advertisers and marketers. They would give them full page ads in the newspaper and they would just let them talk about their philosophy, their approach to the business. And then, you know, at the end, why is it important to advertise in the Wall Street Journal? And the observation I made was, you know, when I was young, I would see those and I would think, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful to be featured in the Wall Street Journal? And as I got older, I thought to myself, I can't help but wonder how many creative directors, you know, designed campaigns specifically for the Wall Street Journal, hoping that they might get chosen. So they, you know, they were having their clients advertise in the Wall Street Journal, hoping that the Wall Street Journal would then feature, you know, their agency. And it was an example from a long time ago, but it was a, it was a very um, popular campaign and it ran for a long time, it, um, you know, where they, they featured these people. But as I was writing the book and I was writing about that, you know, I'm reading some, you know, publication, something online, and I see this note about this, this article about Spotify. And what Spotify did is they created custom songs for a handful of CMOs that they selected. So they selected the CMO and got to know them and then, you know, created a song specifically for that CMO. And then they put together this, uh, this, this CD with these various songs on it, uh, one for each particular CMO. And they mentioned that, you know, some of them were CMOs that they were working with currently and others were CMOs that uh, they were hoping to introduce Spotify to. And I, I thought to myself, what a wonderful parallel, because in the article, they also mentioned that there was going to be another series coming out and they invited CMOs to contact them if they'd like to be considered to have a, a custom song created for them. 
And I thought this is today's version of that Wall Street Journal campaign because some CMO might be thinking, wow, you know, I'm going to find out a little bit more about Spotify. I'm going to look into it as an advertising vehicle for, uh, you know, for my company. And, and maybe I'll actually get a, you know, I'll, I'll get one of those special songs, you know, and it, it just goes to show you that even in a B2B environment, I mean, yes, we're making decisions that are good for our companies, that are good for our, our customers and our shareholders, but there's always some of that human element that's in there. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, people would be advertising the Wall Street Journal if it was a total waste of money. I wouldn't say that they'd be advertising on Spotify if, if it was a total waste of money. But part of what might have gotten them to the table in both of those instances was that very human thing of, oh, I wonder if they'll choose me. I wonder if I'll, you know, if I'll have a song written for me, if I'll get a full page ad. Uh, so I thought it was a really interesting and very current um, execution you know and a great example of using emotion in, in marketing and uh it was uh, i was able to to uh shoehorn it into that chapter just before it went to the publisher because it was a relatively i think relatively new i think it came out like last fall is when i read about it so it was pretty cool campaign so kudos to spotify yeah wow cool example both wall street journal and spotify so definitely there's room to be using you know uh, what what rule was it you referred to there? What was it called? I'm sorry. Uh, it was the idea of just having emotion, you yeah. know, having emotion in, in the advertising. And um, and then, you know, I think the other thing it did, too, is there's another principle, Jacob, called uh, the principle of commitment and consistency. And what behavioral scientists have found is once you make a commitment, you like to remain consistent uh, when future opportunities arise. So what that means to a marketer mm -hmm. is if you get someone to say yes once, you're much more likely to get them to say yes a second time, a third time, a fourth time. Uh, so it's particularly true if your first ask is relatively small, and then you can start to increase them. You know, so what mm. happened was, you know, if if somebody said in the Wall Street Journal in their interview on their full page ad, you know, here's why I recommend my clients advertise in the Wall Street Journal. Well, they're not going to suddenly change their mind after that. Once their ad runs, you know, they've gone public saying they think that the Wall Street Journal is a good place to advertise. So they're going to continue to do it. And the same thing with Spotify. If, if you go, if you have this song written about you and there, you know, other people know about it, you're, you know, the next time Spotify says, hey, you know, uh, we're running the, you know, a, a special uh, do you have any uh you know interest in in advertising it's going to be a lot harder to say no your your natural inclination is going to be to say yes you know like i i vetted them before i i checked them out i think they're good so i'm not even going to rethink it i'm just going to default to my decision making shortcut i did it once i think they're good so oh yeah spotify of course they're a good company yes i'm, I'm interested in talking to you again so awesome yeah so cool so cool to get this you know broken down into principles and th things i i mean most of us can probably intuitively react to a campaign or a message that grabs us or or creates emotion in us or interest but you know what is creating that and and break that down into these principles of behavioral science that's so cool to hear awesome thank you so much nancy for sharing this with us and uh and you have so many stories around this and as you said your whole book is is based on stories about 25 principles. So uh, that's my last question here. Where can we buy the book and where can we read more about you and your content uh, that's not within the book also, Nancy? Ah, well, the, uh, the book, uh, you can get it at Kogan Page, you can get it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, I think anywhere where uh, where fine books are sold. And um, as a matter of fact, it just uh, recently hit the Amazon 
number one new release for business marketing and the number one new release for consumer behavior. So I'm, I was really tickled. I was very pleased when I saw that. But you can get it on Amazon. <laughs> you can get it at Kogan Page, my publisher. Uh, you can you can connect with me. You, you don't have to buy the book. You can. Your listeners are welcome to connect with me. I would love to hear from them. You can find me on Twitter at N Harhut N H A R H U T. You can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. My agency is HBT Marketing, and our website is H B T. MKTG, we kind of abbreviate marketing. So HBT for human behavior triggers, hbtmktg.com. We have a lot of information and resources on the website. So you can find out more about behavioral science and marketing best practices and uh, would just love to hear from uh, from your listeners. Well, I love to, uh, uh, I'm sure everybody will, will uh, you know, listen in and uh, hopefully a lot of our listeners will buy the book as well. So, so interesting. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. That was awesome talking to you. And thank you so much for learning me about more about behavioral science for marketing. And I wish you all the best now with the book and your future endeavors. Uh, Jacob, thank you so much. Really great to speak with you again. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.